Welcome to Vino Week, episode 31, Supermarket Champagne. All right, welcome to Vino Week. I'm Bill. Hello, everybody. It's Al. Bill, let's do this. Let's get it done. Let's talk wine. <laughs> okay. Indeed. So the fir- our first article tonight is about supermarket champagne deal suicidal. And uh, this is this is a drinks business, so it's um, uh, in the UK, right? It's from well, at least yep. it's covering champagne in UK supermarkets. Uh, and what they're uh, what they're saying is that the cost of champagne that's that is being charged in the market in supermarkets in the UK is so low, it's it's. It's not going to put people out of business, essentially. They're saying they're well below their value. It's very cheap. Um, yeah, they had, they had what was it? It was, um, I mean, I looked at over uh, the, the Easter weekend, they had the big run-up. But at Tesco, they had a big sale where they were selling um, Paul Lamey, uh, brute, non their non-vintage brute, for seven forty-six. Seven pounds forty six a bottle. That's pretty cheap. <laughs> That's really cheap. So um, the article is really interesting. Uh, it just talks about, and I think what's happening for champagne is uh, the business is slowing down. So you know, when business slows down, what do you do? You you do a little price reduction to get your product moving. And uh, there might be some people that maybe are a little bit pinched and uh need some money so um they're unloading some of their stocks but in general probably not a good good thing for champagne uh obviously under pressure from uh, prosecco that's coming from italy um uh actually a lot of bubbly's starting to be ramped up and made over in england now so uh you know they're, they're getting pressure from all sides and the woman yeah, the that, retail and there's yeah well, I was going to say there's retailers too that are trying to get in the mix, right? So they're, you know, they're shaving all their margin out. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's just it's kind of a little bit of a difficult time, but you know, whenever when you have a, a, a high quality product and you cut the prices like that, people become addicted to those low prices, and it's hard to raise the bar back up again. And I, I think that's what the the alarm is being. Um, is is being sounded by some of the uh, some of these champagne houses that uh, we should really take a careful look at this because we could be cutting our noses off. And right. uh, we should be clear too that this is truly champagne. Yeah, it's a real you know, deal. It's 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 champagne made in the Champagne region of France. It's not um, some other type of sparkling wine. Yeah, and at at seven seven forty six, that's not covering the cost. That that doesn't cover the cost of what it costs to make it and move it and get it on the shelf. I mean, it's a loss leader. So they're just clearly just you know we we need some cash. Right. So let's right. Hope, let's hope um, that they uh, they get that figured out because um, selling champagne at that price is definitely not sustainable for any length of time. And uh, suicidal is uh, is right. It's right. Appro- yeah. appropriately uh, titled. And so our For next sure. article, we got, we got uh, this came out of the Great Collective, and it's about it's about understanding champagne labels, and it's really uh, condensed, and it's it's excellent. It'll it, it gives you all the points of what you need to know about uh, about bubbly, you know, blanc de blanc meaning white from white, using all white grapes, blanc de noir meaning. Um, um, White wine is made from black grapes. Uh, goes into all the different uh, sweetness levels for champagne. Um, also, it helps you so with reading. Yeah. Helps you with reading. I was uh, just gonna, yeah. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say sweetness levels. So brute, extra brute, sack, demi-sack. It's those words that you might have heard before. Yeah, it, it always amazes me. They always put the do on there, D-O-U-X, and that's 50 grams or more of residual sugar per liter. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a bottle of do champagne ever. <laughs> I've been in a lot of a lot of wine stores. I don't, I don't even think it's imported, but they always kind of show. Huh. I'm, I'm, I wonder where that 
when will they sell that? I was just and like what what's it is it a celebration champagne or dessert? I'm it's interesting. A, it's, anyway, it's, it's got to be for. I mean, it's got to be. I mean, fifty grams. Of, that that's a lot of sugar. That's like. Um, well, not it's really. Over 10 tables. I mean, it's kind of like over ten teaspoons of sugar. Yeah, I mean, kind of like having a light, like a, a like a soda. I guess is what I could liken it to. Maybe not as sweet as a soda, but um, definitely uh, got some sugar in there. And they also go uh, through the different types of producers, and there's um, uh, you know the the different things and what they stand for: NM, RM, NN, and you know. Um, you know, I won't go through the whole article, but I'll just tell you. It's really interesting, and it's very, very helpful. It's super concise, and uh, if you are want to learn a little bit about bubbling and you don't want to spend more than 10 minutes uh, sucking down some info, great article. Where are we going to next, Bill? Um, let's uh, talk about how to taste wine from Vogue, or how to train your palate. Hey, I know how to do that. You open up the bottle, you pour it in your glass, and you just... You start drinking, man. Yes. That's how you taste it. This is uh, so. This is so. This is the meta. The meta lesson here, right? So to learn how to taste wine, you need to drink it. You need to actually taste it. So that's sort of the first step. And then the next thing is you need to start marrying smells that you know to things that you smell and taste in the wine. And I mean that's really, um, you know, sort of the you know uh, meta level pieces. But they do a nice job, I think, in this article, kind of breaking the process down of how you would do that, how you would sort of learn, um, you know, you know, as we talked before, why you, you know, what's, you know, I swirl the glass and you sniff it and what it's, you know, that's what it's doing. So, you know, it's introducing oxygen. So it's into the wine. And when you do that, when you do that, you release its aroma so you can smell it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, looking for other characteristics in the wine um, in terms of like when you taste it. So like when you initially taste it and when you, um, uh, you know, when you swallow it, there will be a, there is potentially a difference between what you taste initially and what you swallow and then what's there afterwards. So, um, uh, you know, that's all about sort of your, what they call the, um, the you know, on in the mouth the finish, all of these pieces. So it's, um, I thought it was really, you know, sort of a, a nice primer into some of the characteristics that you sort of see in wine. So, you know, and, and how to taste and how to talk. So they, you know, have a section on your vocabulary as well. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty neat. And it's, it's short. I like, I like how it's, it's really concise. Hey, if there's, if you really want to like, as far as identifying smells, because everyone smells different things when they smell the same wine, but what's really helpful and it's an easy thing for you to do, next time you're in the grocery store and you're walking through the produce aisle, just pick up stuff and start smelling it. And I mean, you'd be amazed at how you can start, especially when it comes to like uh, herbs and spices. Um, you know, like picking up uh, the rosemary, you know, picking up the thyme, you know, because a, a lot of times you can get these these aromas in wines and it will help you identify them a lot easier if you train your mind that way. And you're in you're in the grocery store anyway, <laughs> so it's pretty easy to do. But if you take the time to smell uh, fruits and vegetables while you're in the produce aisle, you can actually train your palate that way. Right. Um, they also make good references to sort of um, about the body of the wine and the difference between um, the amount of fat and milk. So skim milk, whole milk, heavy cream. So that will yep. give you, you know, the differences in sort of, you know, light body, um, you know, a, a whole body and, a, you know, like a, a heavy, robust body for, you know, skim, whole and, you know, heavy. Um, a, a good way it, it said another way, there are a number of sort of tips like that in this article, similar to the one that you just said in smelling smells in the grocery store that will really help. The other thing I'll say from my personal experience is like, don't get discouraged. Um, you know, wine is very much like a lot of things in life. It's down to your opinion. And when you're beginning, yeah, sure. You may not you know, you may be standing next to somebody in a tasting room. It's like, oh, I smell this and I smell this and I, oh, I taste this on the palate. You're getting nothing like that. That's fine. 
you know, it's yep. so to say to say it another way, there's experience. Experience plays a role, um, and you know, it's a learning process too. There are also people that, who have who are born with higher concentrations of taste buds in their mouths. So they're going to be able to taste things that a lot of people won't be able to do. There's, it's called a super taster. In fact, if you Google super taster test, there's a pretty simple test with some um, like um, three ring binder sort of whole, uh, whole uh, you know, page hole reinforcement and some food coloring. And you can actually count the taste buds and figure out whether or not you're a super taster. Again, that's still, you know, unless you're totally on the, bottom end of that scale most of us sort of in the middle we're not super tasters and can figure all this out so again don't be discouraged you know my my uh you guys don't know this but obviously bill does my my son's a he's a millennial and uh i don't get to see him very often but i did get to see him uh, last weekend or actually it was a couple of weekends ago and uh we were talking we were talking about wine and um, he's actually dating this woman now that is um, – she's in the wine business. So um, he's, he kind of moves a little bit in those circles with people that are into wine. And uh, I guess I haven't been the best dad in the world because he feels a little intimidated by the people that he hangs out with. And he says it's kind of annoying to get around – people and they know all the buzz, buzzwords and they know the wine and, and, and he feels a little bit intimidated because he doesn't know what's going on. So I said to him, I said, well, you know, you should tune in, you should check out the podcast and tune in. And he goes, oh, that's too, you know, that's, that's, that's too deep for me. So I don't know, Bill, what are we going to do? We should go back to basics. Yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> I, you know, I think there's probably some, you know, some point in, uh, you know, doing a, we could do a tutorial. Let's say it that way. Yeah. So um, what I do is what I do and I do it all the time, you know, and I've been tasting wine for, for decades, but what I do is since I'm, I'm not actively in the business and I don't get to try as many wines as I typically would if I were in a store, what I do to keep myself sharp is I always open two bottles or three bottles every when we have wine and typically I'll decant those wines. I'll pour off half a bottle and I'll put the other half in the fridge. But my point is I like to try wines. I like to compare and contrast and try wines side by side. And that's how you really learn, especially if you're looking to learn the differences, um, what the key differences are among different varietals. Say you wanted to try Sauvignon Blanc and Chardonnay side by side from the same producer, that's really an excellent way to hone in on how the varietal really tastes and what the differences are between the two. And I would suggest that to anybody if you want to, you know, as a quick learn on how to learn about wines, that's a really inexpensive and very effective way to learn. That's great. That's great. So uh, you, how are you doing with your, your cellar? Bill, are you aging uh, your wines properly? Yeah, I I would say I am. I got a nice place in my house. It's pretty cool. Um, almost, in fact, the perfect storage temperature. It rarely um, sort of on a, on a on a staircase kind of. It's almost part of it. it it's almost in the ground kind of thing. Um. So, the next article that we're what we're referring to is whether or not you should age your wines. Um, and it break, again, this is a great article that breaks down the key components that, um, you know, will affect the, the aging of the, of the wine. Yeah. The, the whole thing of, of, uh, wine aging is, um, uh, <laughs> As you know, most wines are really meant to be just consumed. Yeah, I mean that we should start there, right? I mean, like like a huge portion, a huge percentage of the wines. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's very few wines that are actually meant to to, to lay down, like port. You know, <laughs> right, right. And every now, and then, I mean, every now and then too, you will talk to a winemaker who who has put the has has made their wine 
and when they made it, they thought about, wow, this will, you know, this will age well. Yeah. So, and you know, you know, not put down in terms of port work and kind of last forever. I mean, that's not entirely true, obviously, but you know, last, last that same kind of, um, you know, uh, duration, but a lot, you know, a lot of people, like, you know, I, I distinctly remember winemakers that we've interviewed and we've talked that, you know, they, their vocabulary is about, Hey, I made this wine. And I, you know, I thought about, you know, or even wistfully looked about, wow, I, I wonder what it's going to taste like, you know, five years after it's in the bottle or 10. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really the, the, the whole aging thing. If you want to experiment with it, you know, it's always a good idea to get, get like your favorite wine, you know, like say you have a favorite red or favorite white or whatever, buy a whole case of it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, stick it in a, in a, a good safe place, a cool, dark place and, uh, you know, store it properly and, you know, have it where, um, the wine's in contact with the cork and, you know, they're not standing up so the corks won't dry out and, uh, try it over a period of months and, and years and see where it goes. And, uh, you know, wine has, uh, it's like people. <laughs> it has a, if yes. it, 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 uh, it has its Zenith and then it has a plateau and then at some point it starts to decline and, uh, you know, it's a good way to learn. It's another good way to learn about wine. The only minus with that is typically, you know, you're going to have a little bottle variation in, in the cases. So if you get a bottle that's kind of a dud, you know, it's a good idea to try another one and make sure that that's not the way it's going. Or if it, if they're both the same, then it's like, okay, drink up, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. But it's pretty, it's pretty cool to do that. And I've, I've done that quite a lot with a few wines. And sometimes you get burned by holding on to the wine a little bit longer. I'd rather drink wine sooner than hold on to it later and have, you know, like have it get lost in the cellar and then, oh, it's gone. Because uh, it doesn't last forever. No, and it, I, I, you know, my experience is it, they last a lot um, uh, less time than you would think. Yeah, especially with what I'm starting to find, especially with certain wines like, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan. I don't know about you, but I'm not a big fan of Pinot Noir past its five-year birthday. You know, it's really not supposed to, to – so my now my understanding is that is definitely a wine that is not made to age. It is made to be consumed. Um, you know, you might hang on to it for a couple of years, but you know, not, not much longer than that, right? Well, I, I, I make that distinction and say California Pinot Noir because it's the opposite for uh, Burgundies, for, yeah, for, <laughs> from France. Yeah. I mean, it seems like they just become. Um, uh, well, there's nothing like good old Burgundy. Yeah. That's well, all I you know, can they say. mature, right? I mean, it matures and and it sort of comes into it. You know, sort of a good example of, you know, the comments about winemakers thinking about the aging process as they're making the wine. It seems to be that that's very much what's called for. With that with that with those varietals and from that region. Yeah, I mean, I don't. We tried a bunch of. Remember, we tried a bunch of older Zinfandels. At the at the Zap event, yeah, and al- although they were interesting, yeah, and they certainly, you know, yeah. I wouldn't say that they were, uh, I wouldn't say that they were mind blowing. I say that they were interesting, and I would prefer them younger. Yeah, I, mean, I think I, I, I'm definitely there. I wonder though if somebody who's a big Zen head, you know, would really find those aged Zens amazing. Yeah, I mean, they're, I don't know. They're, they're they're curiosities for me. I don't I don't see how they're I don't see them as any better or any worse. But you know, if I had my druthers, I, I definitely would prefer them on the younger side for yeah. sure. And I don't have to say the uh, the wines that I've had that have really blown me away. They have not. They've been younger than they've been older. Yeah. Um, you know, the wines that I've had that have been you know put down for a while, they're interesting. You know, and I, you know, that's again, so again, this is a great example of something that is very much a personal preference. Yes. You know, there are people who swear by, oh, you know, I have this burgundy and it's, you know, uh, you know, 15 years old or 20 years old and it's really awesome and, you know, or older, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, Bordeaux is, is one of those wines that I'm especially the, the, 
the medium to the well-made tiers of Bordeaux are traditionally, I mean, those tertiary flavors that come from bottle age, they can't be duplicated. <laughs> so, I mean, so if you know, like that, if you like that flavor profile, I mean, you have to sit on it for a while. Yeah. 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 That's how it works, like, my friend. Yes. Like waiting, waiting for a vineyard to come in. Yes. That's, yeah. Painful. Keep your hands off those bottles, Bill. It would be a couple of years. <laughs> so, hey, uh, let's, let's move on to some, uh, some philanthropic good news, in my opinion. Yeah, this is um, a good news story. I like it. Yeah. So uh, uh, there's a Vital Wines, a Washington State uh, producer. The the founder is a, a woman named Ashley Trout. Mm-hmm. I, I assume she's female, but I don't know for, for a second. Hard to say these days, huh? Correct. Yeah. I know plenty of uh, guys that are named Ash. Um. The, they, they've started a nonprofit to help um, build a well a nonprofit for healthcare for the vineyard workers. And uh, what are they? Is it? Um, I can't forget whether they. No, they're donating. Yeah, they're donating a release. Right. That's basically. Yeah, there's um, a, a wine company. They donated about uh, eighty-five cases, cases. of uh, rosé. Made from Sangiovese, and you know all the proceeds are going to go to actually helping the clinic. What I like about the clinic is that it's it's free to the workers, and it's you know you can just walk in and it's no questions asked, which is a big deal because if you think about healthcare, not not to get on the soapbox, but when you go in, there's a lot of stuff involved with you just go in, you have some type of injury. There's a lot of paperwork to fill out. I mean, they're just going to like treat you and take care of you. And then you're on, you know, that's pretty cool. A lot of these people that might be in these positions, they they probably don't want to be fill, filling out paperwork. And they're probably a little bit worried about going into an establishment where, you know, that's going to be one of the norms, you know, just for the fact of the matter that, you know, maybe they, they don't have the proper documentation and maybe they shouldn't be here. So yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good thing they're doing because, you know, th- these wineries are benefiting from some of these undocumented workers and, you know, they're not paid as great as they could be paid and they certainly don't have these health benefits. So it, it's a nice way to give back, I think. Yeah, I agree, and it sounds. It looks like the community is helping out too. There's retired doctors who are pitching in. The, I, the other thing too, you know, vineyard work is is not a glamorous job, and it's dangerous. Um, yep. You know, sharp ops, uh, sharp obstacles. I mean, if you ever worked on a farm, <laughs> you know, you gotta kind of pay attention. There's machinery all over the place. Um, you know, you're outside in the weather bunch of sharp objects you're typically a lot of times you're on, on uh, ground that's not level you know, yeah the one the one thing that stops me from uh, ever doing that well it, <laughs> there's lots of things the one thing that things <laughs> is uh is uh rattlesnakes it's like i don't yeah. think so <laughs> yeah i mean it's i mean it's true i mean there's you know there's all kinds of critters out there you know, and as I'm talking, I'm thinking about, um, you know, rock pile like up above Lake Sonoma. Oh man, that's rattlesnake heaven there. Yeah, it's wilderness out there. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's grape grape vines growing out there, but there's a lot of other stuff that roams free. That's their backyard every day. Yeah, you know, you're you're on you're on their land. You're definitely in their backyard. So you know, surprising that the, anyway. It's great that this is, um, uh, you know, that they're doing this. Yeah, I mean, and it's uh, I, I love the fact that it's uh, it's bilingual, so they can come in, they can speak, you know, and, and with confidence. Um, a lot of I guess a lot of the doctors are doctors that are are cutting back on their time because they're about to retire. So it's just really a cool it's it's really a cool thing and the world needs more of this. Yeah, it definitely needs more of this and it's just like it it not only is it cool it's also smart. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, taking care of people that are, you know, making you money is just a good idea. I'm with you there, brother. Um, so we, we, let's talk about that. I, I think we might have talked about this cuvee bottle before, but um, I, I, you saw it. I, I saw it this week. So it's a, um, it's a wine cartridge. So you think of a like a CO two canister, but you know a seven hundred fifty milliliter one. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I, I can't help but laugh, man. I, I, I said that just for because that's what it looks like. Um, I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, yeah, it looks exactly like a CO2 cartridge. And it's got a sleeve that's got a, um, it's got a touch screen on it. Yeah. You slip and, the, you slip that cartridge in and then the screen tells you all about the wine, you know, the vintage, the appellation, you know, the composition of the wine, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's a handy, it, it seems like a kind of a handy, handy kind of gadget. I, I mean, the guy, he's selling it as a Keurig for, for, for wine. But, I mean, it's really not. I mean, it's really not that. I don't know that you need the, the touchscreen and all of that stuff. I, I, don't, I don't know if you really need all that, but, I mean, it's kind of cool. And if you look at that picture, that first picture, it shows it as you're pouring it. The little um, the display shows that you're pouring it. It has a little thing that says pouring. <laughs> Right, so and, it, and it breaks down, you know, the wine. So they show a screen that's basically got the, um, you know, actually a lot of information about the wine. So the wine winemaker was, what the appellation, what the composition is. Um, wines range from cost from um, uh, fifteen to was it fifty bucks? Yeah, yeah, fifteen to fifty. So and, I mean, and they're coming to standard size bottle. Yeah, I mean, his thing is. I guess what they're saying is that it's going to keep the wine fresh for, for 30 days. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'll <laughs> have to try it out and see. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it, it's hard. I, I also find it very, I find it very interesting that they have, uh, um, they baked in point of sale right into the app yes. that's running. You could just that's go, oh, I like that. I'll add to cart. Yes. I'm going to get some of that right now. You know, that's- they're, I wonder, I'd like to know their percentage of returns or can, c- cancellations the following morning. Yeah, exactly. Well, I didn't mean to do that. Did you ship that already? <laughs> I hit the wrong button. I hit it. I didn't want a case. Um, but anyway, I mean, we'll see. I, you know, I if this was something like a, um, a Coravin that you could, you know, basically take a standard bottle and hook the device up to, and it would give you that information. Basically, you could use it with your wine, and it would keep it fresh. I think it's much more interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I just have to wait and see. I have to try it. I don't see, I don't see what the, why the reason is. The Corbin makes more sense to me. Not to compare the two. I'm just, I don't understand. I mean, first of all, you got to buy the, you got to buy the, the, the the bottle yeah it's, it's 180 bucks yep. so you got to buy that first yeah. and then as I understand it I guess it's what's it run it's run by batteries right probably or some and you gotta you gotta plug it you in every night it. I mean it's just it just so, you know there's probably a pretty there's probably a you know there are people I mean let's face it I mean this sort of you know boxed wine um you know, we've actually witnessed people trying to move upscale there. There are, other, you know, there are obviously plenty of big brands that, you know, pump out large volumes of wine. There's probably, you know, there's probably a nice intersection of those type of people and, and um, you know, like millennials, younger people that find this digital technology, you know, interesting and cool. I mean, it could be a market here. Yeah, it, it could be. And it is cool. I mean, it's definitely interesting. I'm interested in it just like just to see how it yeah, I, don't I just don't. I don't know that I would like be to... ordering bottles and having them deliver them to me. Right. I just. I don't. So and like the curry, like the whole curry thing. Like I don't. Like it doesn't make sense. The, the comparison between this and curry makes no sense to me. Um, other than and I, would, that it's, I wouldn't even be picking that up anyway. I mean, it, it, curry coffee's awful. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> just like 
it's convenient, but it's like it's not it's not even coffee. Well, and that's kind of what I was trying to say with the box wine thing. It's convenient, and I can totally see people who could, um, you know, get one of these things. I mean, let's just get over the fact that there's a digital device you have to hook up to your wine bottle to to drink it. I mean, that's a you know what happens when the thing goes down. Yeah, yeah, you're you know are you. You know, are you taking a, a drill to the top of the bottle? Um, I just, I don't, I, you know, being locked into one, basically being locked in to one producer's wine or, a, you know, a family of brands' uh, wine doesn't make sense. I Like, I just don't like that. Unless they're going to, unless they're going to allow they're going to sell these cuvee, cuvee bottles to other people. So like any winery can put their wines in these bottles or better yet, if I could ship them, if I could ship the empties somewhere and get them filled. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That'd make more sense. That's yeah. interesting. That'd be way more interesting, but that's a logistical nightmare. You know, how are you going to get yeah. all these, you know, how are you going to get the, the wine that I like to drink comes from small producers. They're not going to, they're not even going to mess with that. Yeah. And that's that's what kind of leaves me out of the out of the loop, you know. Yeah, I mean, they're putting their wine in this unless they're giving these they're giving the bottles and the fillers away. Now, nah, it's going to be it's going to be really big producers and it's going to be you know, wines that you'll see probably like on the on the supermarket shelf, that type of thing. That's those are the type of but I mean, not to knock those wines, but that's what you'll see. It's not going to be I mean, it's the only thing that makes economic sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, we beat that to death. Yeah, <laughs> and drug it around. Of course, why not? Um, so you want to hey, talk Kube, about? If you want to send us one, we'll be happy to try it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. We'll try anything. We'll give it a right? fair shake too. <laughs> um, no, really. So the uh, the then there's a couple other articles I thought we I mean we don't have to get into it but at least mention so there's an uh, there's an uh, there's an article that that uh, we'll post from the California Water Blog and it really um, it's fairly technical goes into some technical um, some it's very technical Bill technical, <laughs> thank you technical <laughs> conversation but I think the the, the What's interesting about this is it's basically we could be recycling a lot more of the water that we use, especially our wastewater, um, and you know, without like huge amount of expenses because this always comes down to uh, power consumption, uh, effectively. But uh, and it, it does a nice job of actually breaking power consumption down um, about about how water is clean. Now, look, water is like super important, right? Everybody's got to have water to live, um, but we got to also have a lot of water to make wine. And uh, the more that we can, you know, some uh, a little commentary here, the more that we can do to save that stuff's great. You know, we certainly could be recycling a lot of our own, um, you know, that gray water stuff or wastewater stuff. But, you know, a lot of people don't want to, ooh, I'm drinking recycled water. I don't want to do that. Yeah, you got the squeamish factor going on there a little bit. So, I mean, the whole idea, I mean, what I get out of this article is there's basically, there's a, a few ways for you, for us to get water. One way is when it rains to capture it in a pond. Right. Or, or you know, in Some a big lake. Or something, which we don't have enough capacity for, by the way. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're uh, well, the problem with that is nobody wants to give up their land. Well, in, in <laughs> California, everything we did was to get the water out to the ocean. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Don't flood anything. Damn it, that was a bad idea. We should have saved it all. <laughs> That's right. Let's get it out as fast as we can. Yes. They, you know, they just the LA River is a cement cistern that flows to the ocean. And uh, another way that we get water, um, uh, I guess, once the water is treated, is uh, especially here. Uh, it, a lot of it is pumped up uh, to the geysers, if I'm not mistaken, and they use it up there for uh, power. Yeah. It's actually pumped into the ground. Yep. And uh, the other way that we get water is after it's treated, um, it's actually cleaned up and it's used for um, irrigating uh, farmland. Yep. So what they're talking about in this article is uh, – 
the different use, the different ways that you can get the water into the system. And if you if you dump it into the ground or you're pumping it into the aquifer, I guess that's called in. Um, I guess that'd be called indirect pot- potable reuse. Right. So they're talking about using uh, direct potable reuse or potable reuse. And what I guess what they want to do is is dump the water upstream. Or I guess I'd say downstream, right? <laughs> uh, dump, dump it uh, um, downstream and have it flow into um, actually flow into the water source uh, through the river. And I know a lot of people would probably think, "Well, God, really? <laughs> How can this be?" So, you know, it's like you're trying to figure out how to get the water. I mean, it's just really a, a complicated issue, but I could see how people would be really concerned about them dumping what what some people, they see it as um, something that should be buffered in a different way right into the main water source where fish and people are swimming and blah, blah, blah. Your thoughts? Oh, I, you know, I, I'm in... I'm in favor of experimenting with all these things until we figure out what's optimal. But, you know, I mean, we definitely need to, we need to start spending more money on conserving this. I mean, there, there is no, you know, the world's going to run out of water. <laughs> it's going to run out, not run out of water, but it's going to run out of clean water. Yeah. Of po- yeah. Potable water. You know, you just yeah. think, you know, I mean, had we not gotten the rain we got in California this year, this summer could have been, you would have seen water rationing this summer in California across the state for, for homes. Yeah. You know, well, like, I, think we're, I think we're still going to see some of that in this, in the central Valley. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot, we got a lot of rain up here, but they didn't get that much. They didn't get a lot of rain down South, which is kind of typical, but they should have got, we, I think everyone was expecting with the El Nino that there was going to be a way, a way more rain and way more snow. And, uh, you know, it really wasn't. I mean, I think we're at normal, right? Yeah. yeah if not, just a little short. Yeah, just a little short. So uh, let's uh, go to our last article here. Yeah, so the, <laughs> the last article is uh, um, is titled, in French, The, the Rosé Has Arrived. <laughs> All I got to say is awesome pictures. If you do anything, yeah, go look at the link and just check out the pictures. <laughs> so, and, and really what this article is, it's a lead into, so the, the, the rosé that they're talking about in question is a, is a, a 22,000 liter bag, okay, yes. in a box rosé, and they basically pump it off. But what this really turns into is an, is a, uh, is an article, um, you know, talking about bulk wine and talking about kegged wine. Yeah, it's, it's about logistics. And it's also about, you know, I mean, I know I always envision wine. Oh, you know, I always, a lot of times I think to myself, I'll go to the store and there'll be like this rosé or there'll be this Chardonnay and it comes from, uh, it might be this Chilean, like I saw this Chilean Chardonnay the other day and it was like five bucks. And I'm thinking, how the heck could they get that here for five bucks? <laughs> it's like, In a giant the- bag. <laughs> That's how they do it. Yes, in a giant bag. Because I, I can tell you right now, the glass is three bucks. If you're, yeah. you know, well, the glass, lucky. the packaging, the label, the taxes, all you know. I mean, that's not. There's not much margin in that. There, there really isn't much margin, and you gotta you gotta figure that the the retailers already marked it up 30, 35 percent. So, I mean, what did that bottle cost? What did it? What did it cost to produce, man? So this is how they do it. They put it in a big uh, twenty-two thousand liter uh, uh, plastic uh, bladder, and they ship it from uh, wherever it comes from, and then they um, they pump it out of that bladder in the tanks. Uh, they probably filter it at some point, and then they put it back in a bottle, and uh, there it is on your shelf. And there's lots of people doing this, actually. Um, the bulk market for wine is as staggeringly uh, big as this number is. I think one quarter of the market for wine is bulk wine. That's pretty crazy, huh? 
full quarter of all the wine that's that's actually sold is uh, is done by by bulk wine manufacturers. Takes the romance out of it, doesn't it, Bill? A little bit. I'm actually surprised that number's not higher. Yeah. yeah so I, I mean, what is you know? Yeah, I'm I'm just uh, as I'm thinking it through though. Now, I mean, it, it seems to that's make a pretty sense. high number, I think. I mean, you think of all the all the places that make wine, and yeah. all the, no, all all the, all the different countries that make wine. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, I definitely like I get it, right? Um, I you know, also thinking in sort of context of the beer market, right, where it's it's the reverse. Yeah, I, there's know, there's one there's one great piece in there where the guy says, you know, they, logistically they don't really have any problems, but they did have a problem once. With the runaway bladder that that came from Portugal, and it wasn't strapped down properly, and it got out of the box and was rolling around in a shipping container, <laughs> spewing wine everywhere. Oh. That must have been a sight to see. Oh no! <laughs> How do you explain that when you get back? Hey, we had a little problem on the way over. <laughs> I just wow. That can't be good. No, nah, that can't be good. But so anyway. uh, any uh, drink recommendations or <laughs> drink recommendations? We'll take those two wine recommendations. Uh, yeah, I got I got a couple. Uh, the uh, the first one is um, you know everyone when I buy I'm buying more and more wine online, and a lot of times what happens is I'll I'll buy from a a retailer to get a specific wine. And then I end up stuffing, you know, maybe I want six bottles of it, but then I want to try some other different things. So I end up stuffing the the box, the other half of the case with other things. And this is one of those cases where I did that. The wine's called, um, it's called the Pundit, P-U-N-D-I-T. And uh, the Pundit is, uh, it's um, from Columbia Valley. It's a Syrah, 2013 Syrah from Columbia Valley. And let's see, what can I tell you about the pundit? It is, um, it's a, it's a collaboration between uh, several uh, winemakers. Um, Chateau Saint Michel's head winemaker Bob Bertho, um, he works alongside winemaker Michael Gassier and um, winemaker um, consultant. Philippe Cambi, and those guys, uh, um, Gassier and Philippe, are from uh, the Rhone region. They make wines over in France. So they've all gotten together to make this Syrah. Uh, uh, it's uh, it's 94% Syrah, it's 3% Grenache, 2% Mouvedre, and uh, 1% Viognier. And uh, Viognier is, is co-fermented with the Syrah. And what that means is they put the red and the white grapes together and they, they ferment them together. Um, spends 12 months in oak barrels. It's uh, 61% neutral French oak, 23% new French oak, and 16% new American oak. Price point? Price point, it's uh, 20 bucks. Um, uh, the wife loves it. <laughs> it's opaque. Uh, uh, it's got, uh, just a black color, uh, goes kind of ruby towards the edge on the nose. Um, I get, uh, black cherries, cocoa and vanilla, uh, with a little spice on the end. Uh, it's full bodied. It's 14.3% alcohol. The mouthfeel, it's just, uh, it's rich and sappy. No rough edges, man. It's just like, it's super smooth. Um, black plums, uh, like, um, when, when you taste it, I get the black plum jam, uh, vanilla and like a little, like, like, a, like a white pepper spice. Um, it's really long, satisfying finish. Uh, it's at 20 bucks. It's an excellent value as rappers would say, buy you some. <laughs> Indeed. It's uh, it's it's really good, and it's 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 available. I mean, it's 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 easy to find. I went up and looked at looked at it up on um, uh, a thousand corks, 
and it's it's readily available. So um, if especially if you're a Syrah fan, you should definitely give it a try. I uh, got a bunch of good ratings too. Um, I don't have that stuff in front of me, but um, I think this was one of the top 100 wines of the year. For let's see if I can find it. Probably, yeah. Uh, eh. Now I can't find, it. but it was. A, I think it was a a top 100 um, wine of the year for um, uh, one of the one of the big. Uh, one of the big uh, companies. I don't think it was Wine Spectator. Can't 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 remember which one yeah, it was. 30, but thirty four on Spectator top one hundred of twenty fifteen. Ah, okay, okay, excellent, excellent. It's got a pretty cool label too. It's a it's a label that people will be talking about. It looks like an owl with uh, the label it's just like cool. I'm looking at the yeah. That's a, it's a really cool label. Yeah. So the wine scores. is it's uh, you got to be careful because it drinks so good. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I'll just tell you Boom. that. It's gone. <laughs> be careful. If it was um, a Cuvée bottle, you'd be hitting that reorder button. Yeah, yeah, Four. exactly. You'd be definitely hitting the reorder button. I mean, it's just it's it, it's a winner, man. It's like uh, you know, and I I uh, ordered some more right away. <laughs> I was like, okay, I got to get some more of that before that runs out. So the whole thing, you know, I mean, good wines don't last very long, so you you really do have to jump on them. Um, I don't have any notes with me. I'll look up my notes and I'll post this for this uh, the second bottle. It's a uh, Quivera, which uh, Bill and I we went out and visited the guys at uh, Quivera, and uh, this is uh, their 2013 Montepulciano slash Sangiovese from Dry Creek Valley. They made about 300 cases of it. Dynamite wine, just 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 dynamite. Like I said, I don't have my notes in front of me, but just. Um, just you'll seamless you'll and, and so true to type. And I'd never had a Montepulciano uh, from Dry Creek Valley and just I, w- I was floored with the quality. So I'll, I'll link up some notes for that. Nice. Nice. What do you got, Bill? You know, the, I, I'll, I'll just reiterate the Goyette. Um, again, I, and I'm like you. I don't have my notes in front of you, but it's a 2013 Goyette Sonoma Coast Pinot Noir. So that okay. bottle is ten ninety nine at Costco. Wow, ten ninety nine. It's a. It's definitely worth that. It's probably worth close to double that. Okay, and what what year? You said twenty thirteen. It's a thirteen. Okay, it's a thirteen. If I remember right, it's got. Um, uh, in addition to sort of the typical Sonoma pinots that you're going to get it's got a little bit of spice licorice to it um it makes it a very nice wine and i mean certainly for the you know we i mean we're debating whether you know how much right we're gonna buy yeah kind of yeah at, at 10.99 i mean you'd be silly not to purchase a case of that right yeah i mean <laughs> it's it's oh mod yeah i mean that's you know I think it's, it's not like it's going to go bad, right? It's definitely not going to go bad. I mean, it's you know obviously not the most awesome Pinot in the world, but I, I, for that kind of for that kind of cash, so like if you don't want to buy a twenty dollar bottle of Pinot, but you want to try what one can taste like, go buy that wine. Spend eleven dollars, splurge, have a nice have a nice Pinot Noir. I'm in because I I had a Pinot Noir from. Uh one of my uh, favorite producers from the 2013 vintage uh, the other day. It was very, very, um, very plain. You <laughs> put it that way. I was like, really? What, what happened here? What, what's tr- going on? Was it a Russian river Pinot? Uh, yes, it was. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, I'm going to mention any names. But no, that's all right. I mean, it's, I don't want to say something unless I have something good to say. You know, it's interesting the 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 so this is all anecdotal, but I heard this from more than one winemaker that 2012 while a great a great vintage in terms of its production, so it was a very big vintage, wasn't a very a vintage that had a lot of complexity to the grapes. I heard the exact opposite about 2013 in that you know, also another sort of big i believe it was a record harvest at least in sonoma county and uh the weather conditions led to a lot more complexity in the grape so you know all the sugars were there but 
you know, it got to hang enough that it developed some complexity. I'm finding the 2013 wines not to be, I don't, I don't know if they like mix stuff together, <laughs> you know, but I'm finding a lot of the, the things that I would expect to have this so-called 2013 complexity. I'm not, I'm not tasting it in the wines that I drink. Yeah, I, I haven't had enough of them to 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 know yet, but uh, well, like I said, I, my comments are anecdotal at best. Well, we're gonna we should we should probably get on some 2013s and just do a run of them and see what we, you know, I mean, yeah, now the time. Well, I'll tell you this 2013 pundit, no problems there, my friend. Yeah, yeah. it's all or the it's Quivera, all good. Or the Quivera, right? Yeah, and the Quivera, no, no problems there. So there's a couple 2013s that that outperformed. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I just found it. Uh, yeah, it made the Wine Spectator top 100. So um, hmm. there you That's, go. I'm surprised that it's still available. But yeah, it's out. It's kind of everywhere. They don't, how much of that wine did they make? That's right. That's what I'm wondering. They made uh, says uh, they made oh they made eight thousand cases of it. So okay, there you go. That explains why there's lots of it around. So anyway, um, I, I'm really impressed with uh, I've been trying quite a few wines from Washington State, and I haven't been let down yet. So that's like a little foreshadowing, huh, Bill? Here, here. Well, uh, let's wrap it up, my friend. Yes. So <clears throat> you can always send us email at info at vino101.net and we appreciate getting the, the emails from those of you that have sent them. Thanks. Keep them coming. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash vino101net. So that's vino101net. We have a Facebook page. Like us on a Facebook page. But more importantly, tell a friend and thanks for listening. All right. Hey, thanks everyone for listening. We really appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers.